What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Jesse Strauss. As the calendar brings us into the new year, our legislative schedule sets us up for the implementation of new laws and legal amendments as of the beginning of the year. One of the laws implemented on January 1st was Assembly Bill 645, which introduces traffic cameras throughout the state, specifically starting as an eight-year trial in six cities, including San Francisco and Oakland. These cameras specifically target the license plates of cars that are speeding, that is, driving 11 miles per hour or more over the speed limit. When the law was going through the state assembly, it faced harsh criticism from a broad coalition of rights groups from Human Rights Watch and the ACLU to an L.A. group called Safer Streets and the Anti-Police Terror Project here in Oakland. Joining us to discuss the privacy implications and controversy surrounding AB 645 is Brian Hofer. Brian is the executive director of Secure Justice, a nonprofit that advocates against the state abuse of power and for reduction in government and corporate overreach. He's also the chair of Oakland's Privacy Advisory Commission, holding that role since 2016. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us as we uh, ring in the new year with some new traffic cameras. We've had you on many times before to discuss privacy and different types of surveillance throughout the city. Before we get into the controversy and privacy concerns surrounding this new law, AB 645, let's just talk about the law itself. What is AB 645 and what tools does it create for our state and local government to um, address speeding? Sure. Great question. Uh, It's essentially a five-year limited trial program. Uh, Six jurisdictions throughout California, including some of the larger cities like Los Angeles and San Jose, also our neighbor San Francisco, uh, are going to be participating in this project with the goal of reducing traffic speeding and traffic fatalities. Um, I, I think it's an obvious reaction. And and just to make clear, this is also the, it took at least three years for this bill to get adopted um, as it was being refined uh, each session. Um, I think we could all acknowledge that, you know, maybe even a little bit before COVID, certainly during COVID, people just lost their mind at, at driving. Uh, there was clearly an uptick in, in uh, traffic fatalities and collisions. And this bill was a response to that. Ideally, uh, placing automated speed cameras uh, by themselves at, at these uh, certain intersections, jurisdictions would have a deterrent effect. People would know there's cameras and reduce speed. Uh, if they are speeding, they'll get an automated ticket sent to them in the mail. Um, that's the you know the upside. Uh, that money, uh, there are also financial guardrails put into place that the, the jurisdiction would have a mandatory duty uh, to put the money into re-engineering. Um, and they couldn't collect the money. They'd actually have to terminate the, the pilot early uh, if they can't demonstrate that they've either been spending the money on re-engineering, which is the only real surefire way to reduce traffic fatalities and speeding violations, um, if they can't prove they've been reducing those incidents or that they've actually spent money on uh, construction to make the roads better. So those are sort of the the, the good things um, or the, the ideal goals. Um, mm-hmm. 
there's an impact analysis and a proposed use policy that have to be provided to the public first. The Privacy Commission, partly because the bill was still being considered, you know, we weren't going to take a position on a bill that could have changed later through the committee process, but we did sort of look at the privacy guardrails. Um, you know, in the future forthcoming use policy, they've got to discuss uh, data retention and, and third party access, sort of the rules of engagement, and the public will have uh, time to review that. It also has to consider the, the disparate, potential disparate impact. Uh, is this going to harm civil liberties? And I think that's going to be kind of the key piece, um, especially in Oakland and, and I'm sure elsewhere, that when we've historically underfunded certain neighborhoods, certain roads because of who lives there. Um, and you can certainly see here where a lot of the traffic fatalities in Oakland are, are in the deep east where we haven't invested our resources like we have in, in North Oakland or Montclair or downtown. Um, you're going to see an argument, a push to put the cameras there because that's where these accidents are happening. The, the flip side to that, of course, is if the drivers in a black neighborhood are going to presumably be mostly black, are you just issuing fines to the very people that have been disenfranchised this, this whole time? Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, you know, taxing these folks to pay for the their own re-engineering to have safer roads. So there's going to be a tension when this comes forward. One of the other sort of limiting factors um there are uh, the number of cameras are authorized according to population size and with oakland uh there's only going to be 18 cameras and i say only because this i just don't see how that's going to have a deterrent effect when we've got two freeways uh, one on either side of us and we've got a bunch of um, high traffic corridors and commuters coming through because we're in the middle of the maze so i you know the the promise of a deterrent effect to me seems kind of non-existent here. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I mean, you touched on quite a few things. I want to backtrack for just a, a moment. You you mentioned that it took this law three years to go through the state legislature. And when I hear that, my, my instinct is either that it's a wildly complex law or that there's been a lot of controversy and backlash uh, coming coming through the pipe on that. Why did this law take three years to go through the legislature? I think it's the latter. There, it's not very complicated. This bill, um, it was put a camera at a high risk intersection, issue tickets. That's not complicated. What happened due to a lot of the opposition from civil liberties groups, privacy minded folks, uh, equity minded folks, is that you know an impact analysis of this became required. That a better appeal system. Uh, to challenge citations that might have been uh, issued by mistake due to faulty equipment, et cetera, um, that became better. Um, there is a graduated penalty system um, that should provide relief to lower income folks and also just first time offenders. Uh, they can only issue warnings for the first 60 days of this program. Also, the guardrails got better. Um, and I do want to give a quick little shout out to our law clerk. Um, this year, the, the third final successful attempt, 
the language that I referred to earlier about the mandatory spending on re-engineering um, demonstrated efficacy or the cities can't collect money, that language was not present in this year's version. Uh, it was referenced in the legislative analysis. Um, Secure Justice did not take a position on this bill, but uh, because the city of Oakland was gonna be in the pilot program, I had our law clerk do an analysis um, and I, I just, I really couldn't believe what I was reading um, that a bill got this far. Um, it was one stop away from the governor's desk and some of the most critical financial protection language was completely missing. Um, they did reintroduce it though before it got to the governor. But uh, yeah, it's it's been refined quite a bit. Um, prohibitions on data sharing without a state and federal agencies. Uh, basically making the data only available to be used for this purpose here. Um, there, there's a lot of those guardrails came up during that three-year process. That's really interesting. I mean, when the law was signed by Governor Newsom, Oakland Mayor Shang Tao said that the bill would, uh, and this is a quote, allow Oakland to utilize cameras to enforce speed limits while ensuring the privacy and safety of our residents. In terms of what she's referring to there specifically, is are those those guardrails around data not being shared with other agencies? Yes, uh, the I would argue that the, the privacy guardrails that are in place right now, what she likely was referring to, um, I didn't you know have any knowledge of that press release, but what I assume she was referring to is the very short retention periods. Um, for example, if a, if a, a scan occurs, but then no no citation is actually issued. Uh, a scan of your license plate or your vehicle is, is captured, but no one, but it it appear, it turns out there is no violation. They have to delete that data after five days. Um, there are express provisions in the language that say these documents are not disclosable under the Public Record Act. There is a clear prohibition on the on the third party data sharing. So there are decent. Um, privacy guardrails put into place here. So one of the concerns brought up by civil liberties organizations was that uh, Oakland and San Francisco, for example, not all cities in the state, but Oakland and San Francisco are sanctuary cities for uh, people who don't have their immigration paperwork all the way through, migrants who don't have their immigration paperwork all the way through, um, as well as California, of course, being a sanctuary state for uh, abortion care and abortion provision. I'm wondering in in these protections um, that you just described, does that take care of of that privacy need? Is that privacy need still a concern in any way? So that's two kind of slightly uh, very related but different um, absolute topics or questions. For every single concern you just raised, we have an existing law to protect us. We don't need any more laws on that. The problem is uh, people don't always follow the law, right? So the more data that is being collected automatically by default increases the amount of risk. It's also extremely difficult if you got a subpoena from somebody to ascertain exactly why they're requesting that data. Now in the declaration, you know, I've, worked in a number of law firms, handled subpoenas, that in the declaration part, you are supposed to say why you need these documents. But you could be very generic. I'm investigating a crime. You're not going to know when you're on the receiving end. In your head, crime has one definition, 
But in Texas, abortion is criminalized, reproductive care, uh, gender affirming care is criminalized, right? So these things haven't been tested in court. On paper, we have adequate laws and guardrails, but they haven't been tested in court. Um, federal law, you know, if they get a, a, an anti-abortion law at the federal level and with the Supreme Court, you know, anything's up, up, for, up for a fight. Um, California law is going to be inferior to that. So these, you know, a lot of, there's definitely risk. Um, I think the biggest risk is, is probably the subpoena uh, concern I raised. We're probably not gonna know with confidence why data is being collected. Now the, the counter to that is one of the guardrails I mentioned earlier. The data under collected under 645 is only supposed to be used for the purpose of enforcing and administering 645. So if folks comply with the law, we should be okay. The problem is, you know, folks aren't always so good about that. And for folks just tuning in, I'm in conversation with Brian Hofer, who is the chair of the Oakland Privacy Advisory Commission. We're talking about AB 645, a law that went into effect at the beginning of the year just a few days ago, setting up in Oakland, San Francisco, and four other cities around the state as trial locations for new automated speed trap cameras, which will generate speed tickets, speeding tickets automatically. Brian, I, I'm realizing that we may have left out one part of the story, so I want to backtrack I'm wondering if you can just lay out what happens if someone gets caught by a one of these cameras um, going 11 miles per hour or more over the speed limit. I understand that while implementation was supposed to begin on January 1st, it's in the beginning stages. This isn't going to happen right now. But according to the law, how does this work and um, and how how do these how might these fines add up for people yeah well they can definitely significantly uh, significantly add up if you're a multiple times uh, violator um in the beginning there's a grace period and you're correct they still gotta you know figure out where they want to put these things acquire equipment go through all the procurement stage uh you know draft up and, and provide to the public the impact statement and the proposed use policy. So this is going to take a while uh, to be implemented. Within the first 60 days, uh, somebody going 11 miles or greater should only get a warning the first time. Um, after that, um, it can increase uh, in the amount, uh, either by the speed you were going or the amount uh, number of violations. Might start at 50, goes to 100, goes to 200, goes to 500. You know, it, it can, it you know, doubles or even more than doubles um, as you go up in number of uh, either miles or number of violations. Um, so, it, you know, if you live in a certain neighborhood with horrible roads, but that's your travel pattern every single day, uh, like most of us, right? We drive kind of the same ways. Um, you might uh, be frequently targeted by this. And these are fines that... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, get automatically generated. So these cameras will take a photo, um, somehow process it through a system that will generate a ticket that gets sent, I guess, to the owner, the address that's associated with the owner of that car. What distinguishes this from an artificial intelligence process? I mean, this is 
a kind of law enforcement ticketing process that happens with potentially no human involvement. Yeah, that was the maybe one of the larger pieces um, to to uh, topics of discussion that came up in this. So you know, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the the old red light uh, camera days. Um, that was my next Cal- question, actually. <laughs> California's been on both sides of this law. At, at present, we're not using them, but uh, under the California Code, a human had to uh, affirm, had to testify uh, to the to the facts of the citations to this violation. You might get the automated ticket in in the mail, but a human had to check it, uh, you know, back at headquarters. And also, if you go challenge this in court, the human officer has to show up and and try to contest or uh, dispute you what you're saying. And here it was written in that um, one of these citations is not considered hearsay, that it's the fact of its existence is all the the proof uh, needed. Uh, to demonstrate the validity of this citation. And that is a big deal. Um, there is an appeal process and it, you know, I can see a whole lot of data errors, data hygiene errors um, leading to, uh, you know, a significant amount of appeals that, you know, ends up creating a big financial and administrative burden and doesn't get us the public safety metrics that we want. So, Brian, we're going to wrap up. I'm going to ask you one last question. But, um, and, and this is a little bit different from what we've been talking about in your purview of privacy. I'm, I'm wondering, I guess it's a two-parter. The first part is, um, do you see this law as potentially successful? And also, um, are, you, are you concerned about the amount of, of privacy implications there are? The other side of that question is are are there ways that you could imagine reframing road safety or speed safety, something that we obviously need to be addressing here in Oakland, um, that addresses the need for more caution among drivers, but doesn't have significant privacy ramifications? Yeah, um, the the first part, you know, could I see potential success for this bill? Sure, I'm open minded. I could see you know, potential success for a lot of proposals. They sound good in concept. Um, as I said earlier, with 18 cameras, I'm not going to, I'm not holding my breath that we reduce uh, fatalities and collisions by any statistical significant amount. That's not me endorsing, you know, the need for hundreds of cameras. I'm just saying there's not going to be a deterrent effect with so few cameras. And even if there is a, you know, a punitive monetary impact on, you know, a number of individuals, it's going to be too low to change the overall behavior uh, of this jurisdiction. Uh, anytime data is collected, I am concerned. Anytime, no matter what the proposal is. So I'm, I am certainly concerned. I do think the aggressive short retention periods are very helpful because even if you're collecting a large volume of, of data, it's getting deleted fairly quickly. But anytime it's collected, um, it's at risk. You know, Oakland just went through a ransomware attack. We know what it's like to hold data that you maybe shouldn't be holding. Uh, and then a hacker gets there. And there's, you know, plenty of uh, horror stories we could share on, on that topic. 
also just misscanning, misidentification. You're going to impact somebody. It's going to, you know, at minimum frustrate and ruin their day, if not have more significant impacts. Um, are there other better ways? There's always other better ways. And that's one thing I hope we see in the analysis. It's required under the surveillance ordinance, which has a very similar kind of impact analysis, which is alternatives considered. Um, there is a financial hook here. Like the city has to show real efficacy and or begin construction on a re-engineering. So they've at least considered that. But Oakland could have invested fairly in these neighborhoods and Oakland could have re-engineered these things long before this bill was even an, an idea. Uh, we don't talk enough about protected bike lanes or, or better sidewalks. Uh, public transit that just each in in and of themselves, each of those things could uh, reduce some of these accidents that we've seen. Better lighting. Um, there's there's a number of of ways that we could have fixed a lot of these problems that we just don't. Um, and and so I I hope you know City Hall is at least considering some of those because I've I don't I can't think of a single long term. Um, example where a, a punitive response to kind of like a, a, a civic concern like this, a general broad civic concern. I don't, I can't think of one where it's actually worked. Um, and so I'm not, you know, not really holding my breath. It's going to be a great success. Well, thank you, Brian Hofer. We're going to have to leave it there and we will be checking back in with you as this law gets implemented and we see how it actually impacts our communities. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Rask in the Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs> <laughs>